lot of announcements, but that's the final one. Okay, come with me please this morning in the Word of God to, yeah, that's good, to Ezekiel chapter 28 and chapter 39. Ezekiel chapter 28 and 39. So I want to read, first of all, sorry, did I say Ezekiel? I mean Exodus. What am I saying Ezekiel for? That's a bit confusing, isn't it? Exodus, sorry, Exodus chapter 28 and Exodus chapter 39. Get your brain in gear, David. <laughs> you have a long way to go yet. So reading from Exodus chapter 28 and beginning at verse, well, let's begin from verse 4 again. And these are the garments which they shall make, a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a skillfully woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. So they shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons, that he may minister to me as priest. And they shall take the gold, the blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and the fine linen. And they shall make the ephod of gold, and blue, and purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen artistically worked. And it shall have two shoulder straps joined at the two edges, and so it shall be joined together. And the intricate woven band of the ephod which is on it shall be of the same workmanship made of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen. Then you shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on one stone and six names on the other stone in order of their birth with the work of an engraver in stone, like the engravings of a signet. You shall engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. And you shall set them in settings of gold. And you shall put the two stones on the shoulders of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel. And so Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders as a memorial. You shall also make settings of gold, and you shall make two chains of pure gold like braided cords and fasten the braided chains to the settings. Then chapter 39. Just the first five verses. So Exodus 39, 1 to 5. And of the blue, purple, and scarlet thread they made garments of ministry for ministering in the holy place and made the holy garments for Aaron as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he made the ephod of blue, sorry, of gold, of blue, of purple, and scarlet thread, of fine woven linen. And they beat the gold into thin sheets and cut it into threads to work it in with the blue, the purple, and scarlet thread, and on the fine linen into artistic designs. They made shoulder straps for it to couple it together. It was coupled together at its two edges. And the intricately woven band of the ephod that was on it was of the same workmanship, woven of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and of fine woven linen, as the Lord had commanded Moses. And they set onyx stones, closed in settings of gold, and they were engraved as signets were engraved, with the names of the sons of Israel. And he put, on that, put them on the shoulders of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel, 
as the Lord had commanded Moses. Amen. Now, as you can see behind me, and this won't be any help to anybody who's listening to this in audio only, but behind me there is a new illustration of the high priest and his garments, much better than the one we had last week. Uh, however, it's not just absolutely perfect to what we uh, want to say a little bit later. I'll explain that as we go on, but it certainly is uh, a much better illustration. Now, I'll refer to that again as we go on uh, throughout the study. 35 years ago, when I was just a young Christian, and I was interested in knowing more and more about our Lord Jesus. And about that time, a dear friend of mine gave me a little book relating to the high priest garments. And as I read that little volume, I was not only interested, I was absolutely fascinated. And I was hooked from that point onwards. And I immediately, one of the things that caused me to do was to delve a little bit deeper into what was then a new revelation for me. And the fascination with it has never ended after all of these years. The high priest garments, the tabernacle in the wilderness, uh, the feast of Jehovah, Levitical offerings, uh, all of these all speak wonderfully and gloriously about the ministry and the character and the nature of our Lord Jesus Christ. All of them are types and shadows. And once you see Christ step out of the types and shadows of Exodus and Leviticus, then he becomes clear and much more glorious than ever before. All of these things is in here in the Old Testament for our admonition. And it behoves us to read them and to study them and to look at them and see Christ in them and see ourselves in Christ in them. And so it's a wonderful study uh, if you take the time and the effort to look into it. Now, today we're looking at the high priest garments. Obviously, in part one, we saw the fine white linen coat and how it reminded us of Christ's righteousness. Now, my laser pointer today is not as good as the one I had last week. I forgot the one. I'll get it next week. But you can see there is the linen coat which was long. And as you can see, it's more of an undergarment than an overgarment. And uh, we saw how that reminded us of Christ's righteousness. And then in part two, uh, we looked at the other aspect. Notice here how we're beginning from the inside working to the outside, rather the outside to the inside. And so the next article was this blue robe of the ephod. We'll come to the ephod in a moment. But the blue robe of the ephod. And around the blue robe of the ephod, you remember, uh, was the embroidered pomegranates. And they were embroidered in, uh, in blue and purple and scarlet. And in between the pomegranates were little golden bells. And we said how all of this reminded us uh, not only of Christ's divinity, but his humanity, of his grace, of his fruitfulness and testimony. Now, I can't go back into all of that again, obviously. Uh, if you want more interested, then you can pick up uh, the CD of that. Today, we want to look at the ephod and the curious uh, girdle. 
the ephod and the curious girdle. Now, there's the curious girdle. And here's the breastplate which is on the ephod. And here are the shoulder straps. And so this is also fascinating and speaks to us much about Christ again. Now the ephod was made of linen. It was intricately woven into the fabric with threads of blue and gold, purple and scarlet. Now the gold as we saw uh, was pure gold. And it was finally beaten into little strips, even into what would be little, almost like threads. Now, anybody that's ever seen gold leaf, which is beaten gold, know how finely you can beat gold. In fact, you could beat gold till it becomes almost transparent. And you can stretch gold into threads. And so that's what they did. And all of this gold, this beautiful pure gold in thread form, little strips was intricately woven uh, in, in along with the, the garment with the blue and the purple and the scarlet. And holding the ephod in the place where these two uh, shoulder straps, as we can see on our illustration here, and these two shoulder straps were settings of gold with the onyx stones uh, inset and uh, on those onyx stones were etched, engraved, the twelve names of the sons of Israel. And on the front of the ephod was the breastplate of judgment. And the breastplate of judgment, as you can see, has got twelve stones upon it. And these twelve stones that will not, will just maybe generally mentioned tonight, and then we'll get into a little bit more depth later on. Wonderfully, beautifully, uh, sparkling, beautiful stones. And again, the same materials was used here as we're using the ephod. Uh, however, this very carefully woven uh, breastplate, the material was doubled and it was square. It was a span, square. Now a span is from the tip of your pointing finger, your index finger, this middle longest finger, until the bottom of your thumb. And normally, on average, that's about nine inches. A cupid, by the way, is from the tip of your finger to your elbow in the Bible, which is normally 21 inches. So it was a span, it was nine inches square, and it was folded in double. And so therefore that made like a little pouch and the stones were set in on the outside. But in that little pouch there was something called the Urim and Thummim were placed into the pouch. Now the Urim and Thummim is a little bit of a mystery about them and again we'll talk about this later. Uh, it was a way of ascertaining the mind and the will of God. And so these were put into uh, the little pouch. And uh, Again, all of this was very securely fastened uh, uh, to the curious girdle here. And it was fastened uh, by, by chains and by rings and by ribbons. Now the illustration we got here is not showing the rings, which is a mistake on the illustrator's part. But we'll talk about that a little bit later. But that's as good as illustrations I can get for you at this particular time. 
And, uh, and so all of these parts were very securely fashioned one to the other. And so it became like one piece, as it were. And uh, so I want us to notice now, again, these four colors of the ephod. Gold and blue and purple and scarlet. Now those four colors are mentioned in particular regarding the tabernacle in the wilderness where the priests officiated. They were mentioned at least two dozen times and always in that order. So they are significant. You find it if Scripture repeats something over and over and over again and in order, you'll know there is a significance to it. And we've been finding about some of the significance of this. Now, the gold speaks of Christ's eternal deity and Godhead. Now, gold is something that is lasting. It's enduring. Uh, gold can be buried in the earth or found at the bottom of the ocean as land for millennia. And yet, it has not lost its luster. It's still as shiny as the day that it went in there. It's got tremendous enduring qualities. It does not rust. It does not oxidize by either air or water. So it gives an enduring quality. And this enduring quality speaks of the eternalness, if I could use that word, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Put Jesus' dead body into a grave and three days later he will rise again in newness of life. The eternal Son of God, whom the Bible says in Hebrews, lives in the power of an endless life. All of this speaking of his eternal Godhead. This was declared when he says, Before Abraham was, I am. No man can take my life from me, he said. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up again. I and my Father are one. All of these scriptures declare his eternal Godhead and deity. John 17 and 5, he prays, And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, which the glory, with the glory which I had with you before the world began. John 17, 24, again in his great prayer, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, and that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. He came from the bosom of the Father, and he's gone back to the bosom of the Father. And so the gold speaks of his eternal Godhead and deity. Make no mistake, no matter what cult, no matter what false religion, no matter what atheist, no matter what modernist will try to tell us to the contrary, Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of the living God. And no man can take that from him. The blue speaks of Christ's divinity. We saw that in a previous part, didn't we? The blue skies, the heavens, the heavens remind us of our Lord's divinity because He is the Lord 
Most High. Hebrews 7.26, it says, He has become higher than the heavens. And then in Ephesians 1, 20, 21, it says, He sits at the right hand, uh, at God's right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. And so we can be absolutely assured of his divinity, that he is higher than the heavens. And we saw how that scarlet speaks of his humanity. The name Adam means red earth. He was made from the very dust of the earth, which from where he was made was reddish in color. And so he was named Adam, red earth. Jesus, according to 1 Corinthians 15, 45, is the last Adam. The last Adam. And he was the one who took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. His favorite name for himself was the Son of Man. That's what he called himself, the Son of Man. He loved that name, the Son of Man. He so identified with our humanity that he took on humanity, the eternal Son of God, <clears throat> took on humanity. God incarnate, God in human flesh and form. And the purple, which we saw was the blending of the blue and the scarlet, that produces purple. Purple speaks of his mediatorialship because purple is the intermediate color between blue and scarlet, is it not? So he was perfect in his divinity and perfect in his humanity. Therefore, he was the only one who could perfectly be able to be our perfect mediator. Glory to God. You see, as God is blue, he fully understood the demands of God's holiness. And yet as man, scarlet, he fully understood the weaknesses of man as purple, as our mediator, he became the one who reconciled us back to God. There is one mediator, Paul said to Timothy, between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. The man, Christ Jesus. See, all these things are in types and shadows in the Old Testament. Thank God for a mediator. Thank God for an intercessor. Thank God for an advocate who sits at the right hand of the Father. Often in industrial disputes, there will be a tribunal. And both sides will enter a process of arbitration. Someone will officiate and listen to both sides of the story. And obviously try to seek to mediate between the two opposing parties. And seeing that all of the parties, including the mediator, seeing that they're all human and understand humanness, then it is relatively easy 
uh, to come to an agreement. Relatively easy to come to an agreed position that is satisfactory to both sides. But who can mediate? Who can arbitrate between a holy God and a sinful man? Who can do that? Who can arbitrate between the highest holiness in the universe and the deepest depth of sin on earth? Who can, who can arbitrate, arbitrate between that? Who can come between those two? Obviously, only one could do that. See, this was a dilemma to God. How can, how can God, who is just, how can he pardon a sinful man of whom his sins become the wages, the wages of his sins are death? How can a holy God, how can he pardon and let off scot-free and yet still be a just God. How can he do that? Whenever we see people getting let off lightly in courts today, we say that's not justice. That's not just. That's just not fair. And rightly so. But how can God do that? Well, the answer, of course, is Jesus our mediator. In his divinity, he took on humanity. The blue and the scarlet became purple, became one. And God and man became one in Christ. <laughs> and Jesus went to the cross to pay the wages of our sin, which was death. He could perfectly understand the demands of a holy and just God. And he could perfectly understand the weaknesses and the sinfulness of man because he lived here <laughs> and walked amongst us. And he could bring us together and reconcile us. Amen. Amen. Now all of these colors, the robe of the ephod, the ephod itself, all of them are placed against the backdrop of the white, fine, linen garment. The undergarment, which speaks of righteousness. Jesus' foundational garment was righteousness. He was righteous in word. He was righteous in deed. He was righteous before God and he was righteous before men. He was righteous in life and he's righteous in death. He's righteous in time and he's righteous in eternity. Righteousness is the very nature and character of our Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> and when he came to this earth, he was clothed in righteousness. He says, the prince of this world comes, but he has nothing in me. No man could say that. Only Christ. Because he was the only one who was truly, holy, purely righteous. And so that is the foundation. And the wonderful, glorious truth of all of this is that on that cross, he took our filthy rags and he replaced them 
with His robes of righteousness. And so we're believers today. Whether we feel it, whether we think it, we better understand that we are wearing His righteousness because we have none of our own. We have nothing to boast of at all. Our boast is in Christ, isn't it? Because it was His righteousness that was imputed unto us, the Bible says. Our sins were imputed unto Him. His righteousness was imputed unto us. The wonderful, glorious truth of imputation. Imputing our sins to Him. God imputing His righteousness to us. And so, underneath us, spiritually speaking, our spiritual undergarments is righteousness. His righteousness that we wear. So we are the righteousness of God in Christ. Hallelujah. And then, there was this, what the AV, the authorized version, calls the curious girdle. The curious girdle. That's a quaint way of saying it was intricately woven. In fact, your translation may say, intricately woven band or sash. A.V. says it was a curious girdle. Loved to know what was woven on it. Loved to know what the embroidery was, but it doesn't tell us. But you can be sure it was of the highest workmanship. You can be sure it was the most beautiful. Again, the same materials were used, same colors, Gold, blue, scarlet, purple. However, unlike the girdle that was wrapped around the linen coat, the undergarment, remember we said there was a a girdle wrapped around it. But unlike that girdle that was hidden from view, the curious girdle was on full view. Now we discovered that the girdle or the sash or the band, whatever you want to call it, we discovered that typically it speaks of service. And often men in, 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 in work, they would wear long flowing robes and they'd put a, a girdle around it, a sash, a band, and if they had to do strenuous work, they would tuck that into their girdle, their long skirt, or they had to walk or run or whatever, they could do that. And so it typically speaks of service. And here we see this curious girdle that speaks of service on full view. Just like Christ when he was on earth serving humanity. He came to serve, didn't he? He came to serve. And what a servant he was. In that three and a half years, how active he was publicly. Everywhere he went, he was serving in the open places, in the court of the temple, in the villages and the towns, in the streets and the homes. Everywhere he went, they followed him, multitudes, publicly, hearing and seeing the miracles that he did, listening to the gracious word that proceeded from his mouth in view of all. However, since he's gone back to heaven, his ministry continues and he still serves us through prayer and intercession, which is hidden 
right now from our view, which we cannot see. If God would take the veil from our eyes today and we could see into the glory of glories, if we could see into the heaven of heavens, we would see Christ interceding, praying for us as our great high priest, as our advocate in heaven. If any man sins, we have an advocate in heaven, Jesus Christ the righteous. <laughs> and so we have to believe that by faith because we can't see it with our eyes. But what a wonderful thing to believe and to know, even though we cannot see with our human eyes, but right now to know that our great high priest is before the very throne of God. Lifting you up and me up before the Father's throne. What a wonderful high priest we've got. What a great and glorious servant that we have in heaven. He loves us so much that every single day he's in ministry serving us. That's the Savior we serve. Thinks about you every moment of every day. Every thought, every need, every discouragement, every hurt, every pain, every disappointment, every setback, every reversal, he knows about every single one of them. And at that moment when you're going through your worst, he's praying for you. Mary said to Peter, Remember how he warned Peter that Peter was going to fail and fall? But he says, I prayed for you that your faith doesn't fail. I know what you're going to do, Peter. I know you're going to fail miserably. But I'm going to be praying for you that your faith doesn't fail. That's why he was on earth. <laughs> What's he not doing in heaven? Often we pray for one another, we do that. Pray for each other's needs, and that's good. We ought to do that. But what a thought that Christ, the Son of God, is praying for us. How much more powerful are his prayers? Sometimes our prayers are very weak, aren't they? Sometimes there's not much faith behind them. Sure there's not. Sometimes, in fact, we pray in unbelief. But not Christ. Not Jesus. No unbelief. No lack of faith. Fully understanding. Touch with the feelings of our infirmities. And there he is, the pomegranates and bells. Can you hear them? <laughs> Can you hear the tinkling by faith? That right now at this very moment, whatever you're facing, he knows, and he's holding you up in intercession. <laughs> every temptation that comes your way, every crisis you face, every hurt, every pain, Every sickness, he holds you up in prayer. And so, there is the, the ephod and the curious girdle. We're going to close this morning at that. But what about the breastplate that's on the ephod? What about those beautiful stones? What about, and we never touched on it yet and we deliberately didn't, what about these Shoulder clasps with the onyx stones, the names engraven on them, set in gold. 
What about the pouch with the Urim and Thummim? What about all of that? It's glorious, isn't it? Well, God willing, we'll talk more about that this evening. Even without going into detail on the stones, but in a general way, we're going to talk about that. And I promise you, I promise you, it's even better than this morning. <laughs> it gets better as you go on because you see more and more and more insights into Christ, our wonderful Savior. Amen. Lord, we just stop a moment. We have much to be thankful for today. What a Savior. What a mighty Lord. What a Redeemer we have got. And Lord, today we're just thrilled that we know you. We're so glad that that moment when you stepped into our lives, suddenly the Holy Spirit revealed to us Jesus, the Son of God, as Lord and Savior. We thank you for that. Help us, Father, as we look into these things that we see your Son in more glory than ever before. And that our hearts will be strengthened and encouraged that we who were undeserving, we who were sinful creatures of the dust, and yet He came from the glory, from the Father's side to this earth to take on humanity. Lord, it humbles us to think these things, that He did that for us today. Lord, truly You are precious beyond words. Lord, help our stumbling lips or inadequate thinking at times. Help us, Lord, as we portray you in these types and shadows that we may see your glory, that we may rejoice in your mercies for they're new and they're fresh and they come to us every morning for great is your faithfulness. And so we honor you today King of kings and Lord of lords, in Jesus' mighty name.